Morning. Uh, my name is David Sorn. Uh, morning to you. Uh, I'm the lead pastor here at Renovation Church. Uh, before we get started uh, with our message this morning, uh, I want to call up some uh, dear friends of ours, uh, Carl and Chelsea Hengeveld. Um, so you guys can come up to the stair. You are. Um, uh, Carl and Chelsea are, are dear friends of ours. Uh, you know, I've mentioned uh, to you a number of times, especially in these summer months, that our vision as a church to be a people being changed by God to change the world, part of that vision is to send people out, not only to the churches that we're starting, but into the mission field. Uh, Chelsea is our first and really only attender at this point from our church that has left to go into full-time missions. Uh, since she's married Carl, who's great, uh, <laughs> and, now, and now they have a son, Titus, uh, too. Uh, they work uh, for Crew, uh, which is formerly known uh, as uh, Campus Crusade. And so they are up in Minnesota this week, and so we wanted to have them up on stage and uh, just kind of fill you in on what's uh, happening in their lives. And so you know, obviously, maybe since the last time you guys have been here, this church has grown tremendously, and many of these people are thinking, who are you? Uh, and so, if you could just maybe take 15, 20 seconds and just fill in, what, what exactly do you do with crew? And then I'll ask you some other questions. Okay, great. Uh, you might not know that about two-thirds of the world has yet to place their faith in Jesus. And even if you could give everyone in the world a Bible, about half the world is illiterate, and so they wouldn't be able to read it anyway. And so the Jesus film was created, and what we've done is we took the book of Luke and made a full-length film uh, to portray the life of Jesus, and then we've translated that film into other languages. Uh, today we have over 1,600 languages of the film translated, uh, but we have almost 5,500 more languages to go. And my role is to accelerate the process of producing the film into new languages so that everyone can have a chance to hear the gospel in their own language. In Crew, one of the things that we believe is that the future leaders of families, of communities, of our nation even, are on our college campuses right now. We also believe that God has given each one of us a unique culture through which we view the world and connect with the Lord. So I serve with a branch of Crew called Destino that uses a Latino cultural platform to engage college students with the gospel. God's using Destino today to reach students that have previously been really unengaged. In my role, I serve to train and equip students with the tools and resources they need in order to share their faith, to reach others through discipleship, and really to live on mission for the gospel. Chelsea, could you give us an example of where you have just really seen the Lord move through your ministry in the last year or so? Yeah, so like I said, um, God's using myself and my team to engage and equip stu students on different colleges across the entire U.S., and so about two years ago, I met a student named Veronica who goes to the University of California in San Bernardino. And Veronica was a very shy, quiet, insecure freshman girl, um, a very unlikely candidate, it seemed like, to start a movement on her campus. However, God had really burdened her to reach the majority Hispanic and Latino students on her campus. And that, at the end of that year, God answered our prayer for another student to lead alongside of her by introducing her to Jocelyn. Over this past year, Veronica and Jocelyn have stepped out in incredible ways on their campus. They've been building relationships with students, they've been doing outreaches, um, all kinds of things, and they've seen numerous students respond by placing their faith in Christ for the first time. Um, they have seen students enter into discipleship relationships, learning what it looks like to walk with Christ, and they've seen students being sent out to live on mission. This summer, two students were in the inner city of Chicago on a crew summer missions trip, really living out their faith and engaging people there with the gospel. 
Cool. So Carl goes kind of around the world to different countries, and he'll help people in those places learn how to do the recording for the Jesus film so they can sort of dub it in their own language. Why do you think that the Jesus film in particular has been so effective in helping people understand the gospel? Good question. Good question. Okay. Uh, first of all, I think it's effective because um, it's, so much of the movie is straight from the book of Luke. It's scripture. And I think the Lord really uses his word to speak powerfully to people. Uh, but I also think that it's effective because we're putting it in people's own language. Uh, many people in the world speak s several languages. Uh, and uh, a lot of times they'll speak a trade language like French or Arabic or even English. Uh, and then they speak a tribal or a local language uh, that they use to speak to their spouses and their children in. Um, and that's the languages that we're producing the Jesus film in. And I've spoken to people all over the world who have said, oh, yeah, I saw the Jesus film in French. And it was just another movie because they see movies in French and they see American movies that are dubbed in French. Um, but I say, no, this movie is in your language. And they're like, there's no movie in my language. Um, and then I show it to them. And, and when they start watching, they're mesmerized because they're hearing their own words. And, mm -hmm. and I think when the gospel is... Uh, presented in their heart language, it, it makes a much deeper connection. I think um, they feel more known by the Lord when they hear him speaking their own language. And even though it's the same movie in French, when they hear it in their own language, it's an entirely different experience for them. And uh, we've seen many people who will watch the movie just because it's in their own language. Not yeah. Like I, I've shared it with like people who are Muslim and they're against Jesus, but I say, this movie's about Jesus, but it's in your language, and they're like, I want to see it. So, that's cool. really Cool, cool, very yeah. cool. Uh, we have been uh, supporting Chelsea, and now Chelsea and Carl, for five years uh, as a church, and I, I just want to tell you that I, uh, as your pastor, I really admire them. Uh, I respect them a lot for their faith, uh, and I encourage you to be a part of their financial support team. Um, as they continue to grow their ministry, they're always looking for more financial supporters. And maybe my last question for you is, why would someone consider supporting, you know, monthly support or what one time a, a, a full-time missionary? What's, what would, how would you answer that? Well, I, I think simply it's because God loves to use people to build his kingdom. Uh, when you're sick or hurt, God doesn't normally miraculously just heal your body, but he uses doctors and nurses uh, to help with the healing. And I think ministry is very similar that God doesn't normally just show up and call someone to repentance, but he uses other people to bring the gospel to them. And by partnering with us in ministry, um, God uses both parties to build his kingdom. Uh, for example, I, this spring I was in Jamaica and I helped produce a children's version of the Jesus film in the local Jamaican language called Patwa. And, um, Recently, one of our crew staff in Jamaica used that film in a local middle school, and 10 students prayed to receive Christ after watching the film. And who knows what that's going to mean for their friendships and their relationships with their families and their future coworkers. Like, we could see whole communities and even whole cities changed because of their now relationship with Jesus. And um, our ministry partners had a part in that. People in this room right now had a part in what's going on in the children of Jamaica right now. And cool. Cool. I think God just loves to use people to work together to build his kingdom. Cool. If you are sitting here today and you're feeling maybe led by God to just 
maybe learn more about what they do, or maybe you want to be a financial supporter, I encourage you. They're going to be in the hallway at a table on the way out. Uh, on your way after the service, uh, on your way out, feel free to stop by and, and start up a conversation. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. You know, we, we are a church that cares immensely about, we don't just want to set up and do church. We're a church that cares immensely about reaching people for Christ. Uh, through international projects like the Jesus Film, uh, we want to reach people regionally. That's why we're starting 10 churches in 10 years. Our fourth one starts in November in Moundsview. Many of you are leaving to go start that church. But we want to reach people in our neighborhood as well. And so one of the ways that we're going to do that in just a, a little less than a month, uh, we're doing a massive outreach right here uh, called Family Fun Day. Uh, if you've never been here since we've done a family fun day, uh, on September 23rd, uh, we'll do this huge event kind of out in the field here where we'll line up the street with food trucks. We have inflatables filling up the field, a bunch of games. It's just a massive, massive event. And we ask people to come, but in, before they go to the event, they need to come in here, go to a service first, and get a ticket to go out to the event. And that way we get to share the good news of Jesus. We share the gospel with people. So, for example, we did this event last year, and we saw six Hundred, not six, not sixty, six hundred visitors come and hear about Jesus in one day. And we saw 34 people make first time commitments to Jesus Christ that day. Uh, for many of you that were at the baptism this summer, you heard testimonies of people who had their lives absolutely changed because they came to that event of that day. And so that's coming up. You know, in order to host six to eight hundred people at one time, in order to have four services, it takes all of us kind of doing that together. In fact, it'll take 208 volunteers just to pull off four services inside. And outside for the huge event, we need an additional 102 volunteers. So 208 volunteers inside and 102 outside. And I just, I want to encourage you this morning, would you pray about, would you consider spending even the whole day volunteering here? Would you just volunteer for the day or maybe for half the day? My guess is, I could be wrong, but my guess is you're probably not going to do anything that day that's more life-changing or eternity-changing than being here and serving with us. And so you'll get some details and announcements on how to sign up for that, but I just encourage you to be a part of that as we continue to reach into our community. All right, I need to get into our passage. Holy cow, let's go. All right, Uh, we're going to be on on page 837 today as we continue in the book of Luke. There's a Bible under every chair, uh, or you can use the uh, Renovation Church app uh, to follow along with the verses as well. Really, this entire section is about as countercultural as you can get. Last week, if you were here, we're in this crazy section where Jesus says, Blessed are the poor and woe to the rich. And this week, we're in love your enemies. And so, incredibly countercultural stuff. So Luke chapter 6, we're on verse 27 now as we progress through that book. Here's what Jesus says. But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you, and if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment... What credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies. Do good to them. 
and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High, because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. Okay, Jesus gives, again, I think what many Americans would consider upside-down advice on a whole number of different things in this category. So let's, if we can, kind of break it into a few different categories. Let's start with this whole category of lending either things or money to other people. Jesus basically says, give to everyone who asks. It's essentially like he's saying, hey, if you gave $100 to someone and they didn't pay you back and it's been a year, he's saying, don't demand it back. I want you to see that Jesus... And the way that he asks us to live is almost completely antithetical to how most of us live. Most of us prefer to live by what I would call scorecard living, right? If someone takes something from you, then you want it back, right? Now the scorecard is even. If someone points out a fault of yours, right, then you want to point out a fault of theirs. Now the scorecard is even. We love to live in scorecard Living. This is how many of us operate at work. It's how we operate in our friendships. It's even how a lot of us operate in our marriages. So I want to contrast these two ways of living, particularly as it comes to lending in this category. So let's throw this up on the screen. Scorecard living says, you take from me, I demand it back. Now I feel good. The scorecard is even again. But Jesus is telling us that Christian living is, you take from me, I give you more. That's what he said. Look at it in the passage. He says, if they take your coat, then give them your shirt as well. We haven't even gotten to the difficult part of this passage yet. And most of us already feel uncomfortable. We live in a society that is obsessed with fairness. Which I think is part of why this passage is so difficult for us. It's like this. If, If you are at home... And you do a ton of work for your spouse, right? You go and you, you clean the whole house. Uh, a lot of us expect that there's going to be some sort of reciprocal repayment, right? Like, all right, I'll clean the whole house for you. And so now I'm going to sit down and watch the Vikings while you do the dishes. Amen? Right? We, so we sort of have this idea that I did something for you, you do something for me. Scorecard living, now we're even. And Jesus is saying, that's not, that's actually, that's not Christian living. We give and we don't ask for repayment. We give, we help. And if someone needs our help again and they haven't done anything back for us, we still give more. And by doing so, the world will see that we're different. Let me give you an example of this. Um, When missionary Henry Richards first brought the gospel to the Congo uh, in Central Africa, he was tested in this particular principle. So one of the things he would do is, there's a lot of Book of Luke Luke allusions today, but he was walking through the Book of Luke with the Congolese people, and he would translate about 10 verses a day, and he would teach them. But when he got to this particular chapter, Luke chapter 6, he was a bit worried because his followers were extremely poor, and he thought they might kind of misunderstand these verses. And he told them as he taught them that Jesus' words about giving 
and sacrifice, that they demand or they, they illustrate a, a principle of, of generosity. But you've got to take them in context with other verses in the Bible about living in Christian community with each other. But ignoring that, the Congolese people quickly asked for all of his possessions. And the missionary, without hesitation, gave them away. He had nothing left. All of the few things that he had brought with him to Africa, he gave away. Because that's what the scripture said. After talking among themselves, the people concluded that this missionary, Mr. Richards, was truly a man of God. Because they had never met anyone with such self-sacrifice. And one by one, they brought his possessions back. And this particular missionary had incredible fruit in the Congo. And he led many, many people to Christ because he was willing to do what the word said. He was willing to sacrifice for Christ. Listen, people aren't really going to notice you if you only live out the Bible when it's easy. But if you can live it out when it's hard, well, yeah, then we'll look different then people will notice. Okay, let's look at the next category, really, of upside-down living that Jesus describes. We might even want to call it right-side-up, right? <laughs> look, at, look at verse 28. He says, But bless those who curse you, and pray for those who mistreat you. Right? This is where he even gives his famous teaching on turning the other cheek. So again, let's look at, look at, look at the chart here. So scorecard living essentially says, They curse you, you curse them, right? They gossip about you, you gossip about them. You make sure you make it even. But Christian living says, they curse you, you bless them. Scorecard living says, they mistreat you, you mistreat them. You make it even. But Christian living says, they mistreat you, you pray for them. Let me just ask you this question. Who is mistreating you in your life right now? And if you can't think of an enemy, per se, who are the people in your life right now that are just kind of hard to love? Like, who is that? Like, any family members that are just kind of bringing down the quality of your life? Uh, how about a coworker who's just abrasive? Maybe you have a coworker that just stresses you out. Or a neighbor. I want you to think of that person as you just apply this passage to your life. And before we go any further with this, let me just give another qualifier, because I know what a few of you are thinking in this passage. You're thinking, this just sounds like I'm supposed to let people walk all over me. And that sounds wrong to me. That sounds like weakness to me. Let's just talk through that just for a minute. I don't believe that's what Jesus is saying in this passage, right? It's not like Jesus would say in one sense or in one time, hey, let people walk all over you, and then a few chapters later say, and justice is important. Right? That doesn't make sense. So how do you reconcile these things? I believe that Jesus is calling you as one of his believers to have this disposition of grace and forgiveness in your life, of generosity. And yet we also bring in other scriptures that tell us that Christians are to, Ephesians 4.15, for instance, Christians are to speak the truth in love. We're to speak up for truth. So how do you bring those things together? Let me give you just a practical example of how you could do that. Okay, let's say you're having an argument with your roommate, uh, maybe even your spouse, and let's say that person continually just brings up 
negative things. Let's just use your spouse, for example, if you're married or imagine yourself being married, I guess if you're not. Let's say your spouse is bringing up negative things about you. And they're just saying, oh, I remember when you did this and you did that and you did this. What we tend to do, almost all of us do this, is we want to fire back with scorecard living. If someone says, remember when you did this? And we just want to say, but remember when you did this? <laughs> well, remember when you, yeah, but remember, right? You can just keep going. And why do we do that? Because we feel like, I need to even the score. Right? But Christian living doesn't stoop to scorecard living. But it also doesn't stand there like a sad puppy with its tail in between the legs just going, give, give me another one. Tell me another one. Yep, just lay them up. That's not it either. Right? This is where you speak the truth in love. And you just say, honey, listen. I don't, I don't, I don't want to get into this sort of scorecard living back and forth with you because, honestly, our lists are too long. Like, we don't have time for this. Because this is going to go on for days if we just each bring up our sin. And so I heard you say that. And I'm sorry. And just help me know how I can do this better. Right? That's how you actually live this out. Because scorecard living this sort of tit for tat is never going to give you the results that you want. When I was in high school, before I became a follower of Jesus, I became a Christian when I was 18, uh, I, I used to have this motto, and I would tell my friends this. I was never a strong person. And I would say, I cannot make anyone cry with my fists, but I can make anyone cry with my mouth. And so when I was in high school, if you crossed me or you said something about me, I would immediately go to scheming on how I could get back at you with my mouth, how I could gossip about you or lie about you. Or uh, one of my favorites was to just verbally embarrass you in public in front of other people. And it's vitriolic, right? But that's who I am without Christ. Let me tell you something. It never worked. Ever. Like, ever. Why? Because someone hurts me, I try and get back at them, and what happens? It just keeps going. And they would try and get back at me. It just never worked. Many of you in this room, you still carry hurts and grudges from things people said to you or said about you, even back to high school. And for a lot of us, we still carry it because we were living in scorecard living. But I know some of you are thinking, yeah, but I wasn't like you, David. I didn't say something back. People said things to me, maybe you were in high school and college, or maybe it's just something that worked last week. And I'm not saying anything, but I'm still really mad about it. I want you to notice something in this text. In every response, in every Christian living line that we're shown, Jesus says that Christians are actually supposed to respond with a positive action. Right? So Jesus doesn't say, they curse you, you do nothing. Right? That is getting walked on. He says, they curse you, you bless them. See, there's a positive response. He says, they mistreat you, you pray for them. Not do nothing, positive response. They hate you, you love them. That's how it works. And so look at how this is different. Let me show you one more of these. So this is the math behind scorecard living. Scorecard living says, a bad thing that you did to me Plus, if I do a bad thing back to you, then that'll probably make things right. And the majority of people on earth live with that sort of math. But Christian living, what Jesus is teaching here is, you do a bad thing to me, but I add back a good thing, actually makes it possible, the scripture tells us, we'll see this in a bit, to live in peace. 
You can't fix a relationship that is breaking by breaking it some more. That's, that, that's, that's never going to work. But this is why the reverend Martin Luther King Jr. was so effective in living out Jesus' teachings, even from this passage. Uh, look what uh, Martin Luther King Jr. said on this. He said, darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. I remember hearing a story uh, about Wade Boggs. If you don't know who Wade Boggs uh, is, uh, Wade Boggs is a, a Hall of Fame baseball player. He used to play for the Red Sox and a, a number of other teams. Uh, back in the early days of his career, when he played with the Red Sox, he used to hate going to a Yankee Stadium. Uh, not necessarily because of the Yankees, but there was one particular fan there. He had a kind of a front row seat, and he would just heckle Boggs. The entire game, he would shout obscenities at him. He would insult him. It was so bad that he didn't even want to go to the stadium just because of this one particular fan. Well, one day, he shows up at the stadium. He's kind of doing his pregame rituals, and the fan just starts his tirade. He's just screaming at Wade Boggs, and it's just it's driving him crazy. And so he got some advice from someone else, and he walks up to the fan. He says, hey, are you the guy who keeps yelling at me? Can you imagine that, right? And the guy, who's crazy, says back to him, he says, yeah, I am. What are you going to do about it? And Boggs reaches in his pocket and pulls out a brand new baseball, and he autographs it, and he throws it to the guy. And that guy actually became Wade Boggs' biggest fan at Yankee Stadium. <laughs> See, this is what Jesus is teaching. This is bad math, right? A bad thing plus a bad thing is not going to make things right. But if you bless someone, you throw them the ball, you bless someone who curses you, well, that might just actually work. The Apostle Paul gives the same sort of recipe in the book of Romans. Look at this. This is Romans 12. Paul says, do not repay anyone evil for evil. It doesn't work. It's never going to work. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, now this is the inserting the positive for the negative. It's the same formula. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. You'll drive him a little bit crazy, right? Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. I think perhaps the story of David Platalero is helpful here. I came across his story maybe six months ago. I saw a friend post it online. Uh, two years ago, David Platalero uh, was a young man, 24 years old. I uh, was going to school in uh, Nashville. He was riding a bike uh, to... He was attending the Blackbird Academy of a music school. He was just riding his bike to class when a young woman ran a red light, smashed into his bike. He flew over 10 feet into the air, came down, landed on the pavement. They rushed him to the hospital. The initial diagnosis was, you've, 
you know, really damaged your spine and you might not ever walk again. We have a photo of kind of where, what he looked like in the hospital. And yet, Platalero, who's a strong believer, he's a follower of Jesus, was lying in the hospital for months. And one of the things that he kept thinking about while he was lying in his hospital bed was he was thinking about the woman who hit him with her car and what she must be feeling. And so he tried to get a hold of her and he tried to figure out her name and who it was and he started to hear back from other people that this woman was just overwhelmed, as you might imagine, overwhelmed with guilt and depression. Well, it came time for her hearing, right? And she's in court and David Platalero sends his father to the courtroom because he can't go. He's still in the hospital. And this is the message he sent with his father. He said, Dad, let's not press charges. Let's just do what's best for her. I don't think prison is going to do any good for someone who's already had so many bad things happen in her life and is already struggling with so much depression and guilt over it. And they relayed this message to the woman at court, and she was just, as you might imagine, overwhelmed with his mercy. Well, eventually he gets out of the hospital. He's able to kind of walk with the use of crutches. And he decides he's going to go one further. He's going to meet this woman. And he texts her, and he asks her to meet him face to face. She agrees, but she's nervous, obviously. And she comes, they meet at a coffee shop, and she knows what he looks like at this point and sees him from far away, doesn't know how he's going to react. And he looks at her, and he just smiles. And he opens his arms. And she runs to him. And he just embraces her as she just cries and cries. And then she looks up, and he gives her the three most amazing words, and he says, I forgive you. In fact, we have a picture. This is the two of them together as they've now become friends. Just imagine that. But listen, okay, let's decide, let's say this. Let's say he decided to press charges, right, and she goes to jail. Nobody in our society would even blink if that had happened, right? The story's not in the news. That kind of thing happens a hundred times a day in this country. But how is this man living? This is not scorecard living, right? This is not, I'm going to get even. This is not how many of us live. This is not, I suffered and so now you will suffer. This is, I suffered so I will bless you. That's crazy. But that's Christ-like living. You know what's fascinating to me about this? Is we say, oh, it's so countercultural to live this out. And yet this man, people heard about a story. He was, they brought him on the Ellen show. Uh, they got him on American Idol so he could tell his story. Why? Because when the world sees you actually live out the hard teachings of Jesus, it is attractive to them. It's beautiful. I mean, you could say that he was living out the golden rule, right? That he's treating others as he wanted to be treated. That's the, that, that golden rule comes from the passage we were just in. We read it today. But I actually believe it's even deeper than that. Now, let me explain this. Now, the golden rule is it's a great rule for ethics, right? It's great if you have the ability to actually put yourself in someone else's shoes. But what a lot of people miss in Luke chapter 6 and even studying the Gospels is that the golden rule, while immensely helpful, is actually not the height of Jesus' ethical teachings. It's not even the foundation for why we live out the way we do in these ten verses. 
Our main ethic for why we live this radically as Christians is what many have called the platinum rule. One step higher. One step better than gold. This is what we see in verses 35 through 36. Look at it again. Jesus says, Then your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High, because he, God, is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. That's the main ethic for why we live the way we do. And so here it is. We, as Christians, we are to be kind... We are to be merciful. We are to be forgiving to others, as Jesus says, because God was merciful to ungrateful and wicked people like us. And so if the golden rule is you're to treat others like you want to be treated, the platinum rule is this. It's to treat others as God treated you. That's the main reason that we live out this crazy lifestyle as Christ followers. And this is one step higher because right, if I'm just thinking about how would I want to be treated if, that, if I'm that other person, it's really easy still to fall into scorecard living. Well, you know how I would like to be treated? I would like them to pay me back or I would like them to finally say something nice to me or I would like them. We can fall into the scorecard. You see, we're totally going to miss out on how to live in this world if you just fall back into the scorecard and you can't live out the platinum rule, right? Because if you're looking at people and you're thinking, I just keep pouring and pouring out and pouring and they just keep draining. If you feel like, I just, there's this person in your life and I just keep forgiving them and forgiving them and forgiving them and it's like they don't care. They just keep running off. If you keep looking at this like it's a scorecard, honestly, what you're going to do as life goes on, you're going to give up. You're going to give up on trying to do the right godly thing because you'll just be waiting for it to even out. And I'm sorry to break it to you, but a lot of things in your life are just never going to even out. The scorecard will never even out. But as followers of Jesus, we keep giving. We keep serving. We keep blessing and forgiving even if they're never going to even the scorecard for us. And why would we do such a crazy thing like that? Because that is how he treated us. That's the platinum rule. Right? And so when we complain about people not giving back to us or about people not being kind back to us, we forget. What happens is we're forgetting how he treated us when we acted the same way. He keeps pouring out his kindness to you over and over and over and over again in your life. And yet so many of us, we just kind of ignore it. We just kind of go live our own lives. He just keeps forgiving. Do you know how many times he's forgiven you? How many times a day even? He keeps forgiving and forgiving and forgiving. And we just kind of run off. And most of the time we just keep sinning. And so why do we treat people in our lives with such undeserved kindness, even though they'll never make the scorecard even? Because that's how he treated us. Let me ask you a question. Anyone in here getting close to evening the scorecard with God? Like you're just about to even it up and pay him all the way back for all of his mercy and undeserved kindness? 
I didn't think so. This is the platinum rule. And if he treats you that way, then we treat others that way. Let me explain it to you this way. We'll throw this up. You can't live out the platinum rule if you don't first understand how much he's forgiven you. Now, this is like the parable in Matthew 18. Jesus tells a story. He says there's a man who owed a king an enormous amount of money. And he went and he said, oh, the king, will you forgive me? Will you forgive me? And he said, no, I'm not going to forgive that debt. I'm going to take you and your whole family and I'm going to sell them into slavery to repay the debt. And the man just begged and begged and begged and begged and begged. And finally the king just relinquished and said, you know what? I'm going to show you mercy today and I'm going to forgive all of your debt. Just go on with your life. That's amazing. And yet that very same day, that same servant went out and he found a man that owed him basically pennies compared to what he owed the king. And he said, pay me back. The man said, I can't pay you back. That same servant who had just been forgiven said, well, then I'm going to throw you in jail. And he threw him in jail. You see, that's what so many of us do. That's how we live our lives. It's the opposite of the platinum rule. We treat others in our lives in a way that looks nothing like the king has mercifully treated us. Because we're just forgetting how amazingly merciful and forgiving he is. That he would come and die on the cross and forgive all of our sins. I will tell you, your ability to show grace to other people is directly related to how much you realize that he's forgiven you. And so some of you in this room, you have some people that you just need to forgive this week. Some people you just need to show grace to. You have some people, you're thinking of them right now. You just need to let the grudge go. Why? Because that's what God did for you. He loved you. He's forgiven you. He's shown you mercy. Let that just sink in. I just believe God is going to enable you to pour that out to other people this week. Let me pray. Lord, we thank you for your kindness and your love for us. It is uh, unmerited and it is undeserved, God. And may we, may we just find a way to show that kindness and that grace.